All right. Good morning. How you doing? It's great to see you today. My name is Todd Arnett. I'm the lead pastor of Trinity Church. I missed you last week. I'll tell you a little bit more about where we were at celebrating uh, where my son's graduation from college. Yay, God! So that's uh, really good things. But we are glad that you're here with us celebrating on Mother's Day. And again, I know Hilke was uh, acknowledging our moms, and we definitely want to say thank you and we love you. Um, this is a kind of one of those sentimental, specific uh, Mother's Days for me because my daughter Kendallin, it's her 17th birthday today, and she was born on Mother's Day originally 17 years ago. So that's like all kinds of coming back. Kendi, you've changed uh, all for good, and so we're grateful for that. But, and, and like any 17-year-old, mom, you're taking away from my day. You know, this is a bummer for her. We're working it out. It's all good. So... But uh, we're really grateful and just how that even affects our family and, and what we're up to today. Um, what I want to do, I want to take a moment. The, the days kind of collided this way. It's not specifically because it's Mother's Day. But we want to take a minute to thank Donna Stark and Wendy McKinney. I know you guys are here. Ladies, would you come on down? I want to thank them. You can clap. <clears throat> How about this? I will be, I will be um, the thorn between two roses. How would that be? We usually say it the other way around, but I know that's not true. So Wendy and Donna have been serving at Trinity Church in some incredibly selfless, sacrificial, wonderful leadership ways uh, for a long time in women's ministry, but especially these last six years in a role that's really been, these have been the point people for that ministry and did an amazing job with our women's Bible study, with uh, giving leadership to our T-moms, one of our just, I think, most amazing ministries of meeting moms right where they're at and really walking through that life stage together. And a whole bunch of great entry point events and events for women, encouraging them, growing them in their walk with Jesus. Wendy and Donna months ago were wonderful to be able to tell me so we could get on a trajectory uh, that they were gonna be stepping aside from this role at the end of this, this fiscal year, so June 30, um, giving us time to plan and prepare, which has been really helpful. But within that, they're not leaving Trinity Church, they're not even leaving women's ministries, but from that role, they'll be stepping aside. So today, I just wanted us to have a chance to thank them publicly. I know our women's ministries this week are gonna be doing some things to thank them as well. But I wanted you to have the opportunity, not only to know that, but to thank them once again. So would you do that? And I think you should stand. That would be a good thing. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Yeah. Very well um, deserved. So thank you ladies so much. And we will keep you up to date on kind of some of the next steps related to women's ministries leadership. And uh, we're excited about what God is leading in that direction as well. Um, what we did is we kicked off a series on Easter called After This Life. You'll note the banners and the decor. And what we wanna talk about is I believe there is a lot of misinformation and misbelief about heaven and hell, about what eternity is all about. So therefore, I thought it would be a great series for us, and we had a great day on Easter, simply saying that the only reason we even have the hope of heaven is simply what Jesus did at the cross and the empty tomb. 
And these last couple of weeks, Eric Tanis, professor at Biola and pastor at an EV Free Church down in La Mirada, was with us the week after Easter. Did an amazing job. Bill Bourne, amazing job last weekend talking about the sheep and the goats. And we're continuing in that vein today. And what we want to do is remember from the very beginning what we said, this series is not about how to get more interesting facts about eternity. It's all about how should I be motivated to live now in light of what's to come. And that's our goal all the way through. Everything that you hear throughout this series is always pressing through that idea with that in mind. And that's my hope. My hope that we would be more eternally minded. And being eternally minded, we would actually say, hey, things that are seemingly so important to me in this life are going to matter very little in the next, if at all. So therefore, I want to focus now on what's to come and live a life like we're going to see today that's going to be rewarded. What we're going to do today is we're going to dive in. Before I tell you where we're going specifically, one thing we're really excited about, we've actually built in a Q&A day in this series, and this is how we're going to do it. On June the 2nd, as you begin, you'll see a slide that's going to begin asking you questions that you have about heaven and hell. We're gonna devote that particular Sunday to answering those. Now, rather than raise your hand and we'll walk around with a mic, we're gonna have you send those in via Instagram, email, and Facebook. You'll note the email is communications at trinityonline.org, and then you would go to our, our, our Trinity Instagram and Facebook sites to be able to send us messages as well. But we'd love to know what do you want to know about? What are you wondering about related to heaven and hell? We'll talk about some things in between now and then and might answer a few of your questions, but anything you want to know about, we would love to address on that particular Sunday. Sunday, June the 2nd is what we'll devote to that. So help us. If you don't send us any questions, then you're just going to hear me talk again about just whatever I want to talk about. You get to set the table for what you want to talk about, and that would be a really great help to us. So send those questions in over the next three weeks, and that's what we'll address on Sunday, June the 2nd. Here's where we're going today. We're going to talk about today, God as judge. Now, it's interesting, of all the names or titles for God, we tend to prefer things like Father. <laughs> we tend to prefer things like Creator. We prefer things like Almighty, and those are all appropriate. But for some reason, God the judge isn't one of the ones that's at the top of our minds. But I want you to see today in our time together that it should be that you and I actually should be eternally grateful that God is the one who will judge because he is the only one capable of doing so and that his judgments are absolutely just. That's where we're gonna go and we're gonna see from scripture today how to help us with that. If you have a Bible, you can open it to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation is the very last book and chapter 20 is towards the very end of that last book. Find your way there and we'll be looking together. If you have a Trinity this week, you have some notes that look like these if you wanna get those out. That'll help you track with us a little bit better as we go through the time today. Now, some have inferred when I shared with them that we were talking about God as judge on Mother's Day, some inferred that there's some kind of connection of God judging you to Mother's Day. And I just want you to know from the very beginning, absolutely no correlation at all, unless you think there is, and that's between you, your mom, and your therapist, okay? We'll let you work that out. Uh, here's our now what statement today. Since God is going to rightly judge you, be sure that you take Jesus up on his offer to stand in your place. Since God is going to rightly judge you, we're gonna use that word rightly a lot today, meaning appropriate. God is the one who should be doing this. 
Since he is gonna judge you, take Jesus up on his offer to stand in your place. Number one in your notes, God is rightly the judge of his creation. God is rightly the judge of his creation. Again, God is appropriate. God is the only one who is capable, able, right, to stand in that place, or in this case, to sit on that throne. Your, your Bibles are open to Revelation 20, but look on the screen. Let's begin with Psalm 96, verse 13. It says, let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. I just wanna begin with the obvious question, why is the author of this Psalm excited about God judging people? That's what he's saying, rejoice, be excited, God the judge is on his way. And I wanna say that for us, that judging and judgmentalism are probably the greatest sins in our culture today. That is the one thing you cannot do. I love this shirt and the bumper sticker I've seen at times, only God can judge me. And what's funny is those people don't even want him judging them. They're really saying, nobody gets to tell me what to do and why. You don't know my story. You don't know where I've been. Everyone who does the same stuff I do is just as bad as I am, lay off. These are the trends, these are the attitudes that we see all throughout our culture, they're pervasive. They might be within us in the room today. Simple question I want you to ask yourself, where does this anti-judgmentalism come from? And here's the interesting thing, I've been on the planet 48 years, it's happened during my lifetime. When I was younger, this was not the way. This was not the concern of everyone's freaking out because someone dare call you on something. But it's happened over the last few decades. And I wanna unpack that a little bit today. One of the things that I am eternally grateful for, I've told you before about the churches I was raised in and told you where there were blind spots, or at least there were blind spots to me. I'll have to own that maybe I wasn't always the best at paying attention, but at least they were seem seemingly things that I didn't understand at that point. But one thing that every church I was raised in did a great job they did a great job of hammering home to my head and to my heart that God is who the Bible says he is. That God is the one who is indeed the creator of all that exists. And that by nature, he is both owner and judge of all that he has made. I have heard that all of my life and that actually made an impact on me where I see the world through the lens of what I'd call a Godward lens. I'm not alone in that, many of you do as well, but it begins with God is who the Bible teaches him to be and therefore he gets to make the decisions he makes. He gets to be in control of all that he's in control of. He gets to be the one who ultimately will say according to his standard what is right and what is wrong. That's what it is to be God. I learned early on that God is large and in charge. And I also learned early on that I am not. That was the essence. And it's not me trying to pull back to roots and say how great it was, Todd, I should have grown up in your church. It's just me saying that that has been the, the thing that I have had over and over and again. And it colors the way I see the world and the way I see the universe. For others of us, that hasn't been our perspective. But for mine, it's been understanding that our place is underneath God's authority and his directive. 
And many of you have had that impression and that understanding for a long time as well. But let me talk about what happened along the way. Bill mentioned this last weekend and did such a great job. We talked about when when all of a sudden in the culture, what became true was not objective truth, but subjective truth. When all of a sudden we start using pronouns in front of the word truth and say things like my truth, all of a sudden what we've done is we've shifted away from what is absolutely true to my opinion of what is true. And in that relativism and in that self-centered truth, when that became king, we became the middle of the universe. We became the ones that everything else would be judged and decided by. We lost our way. We moved God up and out of his throne of judgment and we sat down in it. And that's created waves and waves of problems. In all of our newly found wisdom and self-awareness, we began to look at God in such a way that now he answers to us rather than us answer to him. God, I don't like it when. God, I think you're wrong when. And all of a sudden we flip the tables and we think that now these things are the way things are. We've developed an earthbound view rather than a Godward view that begins with this presupposition that God is who the Bible teaches him to be and he rightfully is in charge. We begin with an earthbound view that says, no, we are the center and we will judge things as we see them, as we believe them to be true. And you'll see that these absolutely, these two different views are in conflict. Here's how this is naturally, maybe in the way that you've grown up and the different uh, influencers in your life, that's just the way it's been. Or maybe this has become a subtle root in your theology and the way that you see the world. But either way, here's maybe the way to do a little bit of a, a test in your own spirit today. In your notes, as you hear the issues that we're talking about during this series, do you retaliate with how dare you, God, or do you rejoice with how great are you, God? Do you retaliate with how dare you, God, or do you rejoice with saying how great you are, God? And that's what is really a great litmus test that only you can answer. I can't speak into that thing that only as your thoughts and your ideas come out of your head and your heart, but the reality is that's one great tester to kind of know, how am I dealing with allowing God to be who the Bible says that he is versus what I think he ought to be? Here's the way that some places in scripture refer to the preeminence of God. Isaiah 45, verse 18. For this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, there is no other. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Look at these words. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. Wow, that is saying a lot. That is the prophet Isaiah. And he is simply establishing when the people even then were struggling with who is God to tell us, he's saying, this is God and that's why he's telling you. He is indeed over all. 
The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans 9, verse 19. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us for who is able to resist his will? Watch this, but who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? This is establishing this is who the God of the Bible is. He alone sits in the rightful seat, indeed a father, indeed of savior, but also of creator, sustainer, and judge. I wanna to appeal to you as we begin talking today about God the righteous judge to ask yourself, do I have that Godward perspective or more of an earthbound one? Do I kind of brisk and even say to myself, God, how dare you? And I wanna say this, if you do today, you are welcome here. Because today is the day to start processing, I need to repent of that attitude. I am seeing it all wrong, and I need to really understand who the Bible teaches that this God really is. Number two in your notes, God will judge those whose names are not found in the book of life. God will judge those whose names are not found in the book of life. Let's start talking. We're gonna to talk today primarily about two judgments that we read in scripture, the great white throne judgment and the Bema seat judgment. Here's the first, you're in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens, they fled in from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose, names, whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Look on the screen, Revelation 21, 27. Nothing impure will ever enter it. This is the city of God. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So let's talk a little bit about this particular judgment, this great white throne judgment of God. I want you to notice a few things about this passage. First note that God the mighty judge is sitting on his throne in such a way that there is no one around him to counsel or to give input. He is solitarily by himself and he is the one by which people will be judged. No one is there to cross-examine his decisions. Those who face the judgment of God are all peoples. We read about that. These places gave up their dead and all stood before God, both great and small, and they'll have to represent themselves before Almighty God. God's judgment will simply be based on the facts of how the dead lived and in the, in the passage we read, based on what they had done as recorded in the books. And because of what we know from other places of scripture, we know that what is going to be recorded is failure, after failure, because we know the Bible teaches for all have sinned. No one is special. No one is outside of that umbrella for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So here's the thing. This is what this passage does is it blows out of the water this idea that our, my life is about scales. 
right? How I can just do enough good to be good enough for God. This passage teaches that there's no amount of good because within all of us, both by nature and by action, is sin. God's righteous standard, by the way, is not just something he made up, it's something he demonstrates. God himself is the pure example, the demonstration of the standard by which he will judge us. So it's not some arbitrary, it's not some sort of, um, uh, uh, man, again, I said in second service, my words are somewhere at last Tuesday uh, where they're stuck. But it, it won't be this kind of thing of this hypothetical that he just made up. It's who he is out of the essence of what he is. That's what he'll judge us by. And everyone, there's not enough scale to be good enough because within all of our scales is that which is against God's nature, that which is what he calls sin. So the result of being found guilty in this judgment will end in the condemned being thrown into the lake of fire, the place where death and Hades also were thrown. And you remember from last week, Bill so rightly said that hell was never designed for people. It was always designed for Satan and for those that were enemies of God. But as a result of disobedience, a living life their way, this will also be their end. The Bible states this is the second death. So for every human being who has undoubtedly lived in a way inconsistent with God's holy standard, this is bad news. It's like this idea of being on a conveyor belt and the conveyor belt is moving closer and closer to this reality of a furnace on the other side. You remember Bill said last week in John chapter three, out of this great verse, for God so loved the world, what's it say? For those who believe, who don't believe, stand condemned already. Simply by being a member of the human race, that is our problem in the broken relationship with our creator. And if nothing changes, then that's exactly what is going to be our end. But I want you to see this today. I intentionally left out the very most important aspect of this judgment that we read in Revelation 20, the fact that there's another book. The fact that there is another book present. You sang about it when we sang this song today, my sins are nailed to the cross. The weight of guilt and shame I bear no more, rightly so. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. You see, this other book, what was fascinating about it is that this book doesn't contain descriptors. This book has no evidence of, again, back to scales. Well, these people really knocked it out of the park. None of that. All it has are names. Names who, of people who have been found in Christ. That is the basis and we say, yay God, that there is another book because aside from what Jesus did at the cross and the empty tomb, there's no hope. Everyone's on the same conveyor belt, but it is Jesus based on what he does that reaches out a hand and says, hey, I will lift you off of this and I will take your place. Because remember, we have to understand that theologically, it's not as though God just plucks us off of this imminent doom and, and fate, but Jesus himself takes his place for us. That's the power. God never lets sin go unpunished. He just simply punishes your sin on Jesus. This is a yay God moment. Can we say that? Yay God. This is great news because without this, we have no hope. Look in your notes. God is the God of the other book. God is the God of the other book, the Lamb's book of life. 
We started with that song today, The Lion and the Lamb. This is a name of Jesus. And without it, and this should cause us today to be moved to great praise and great joy because aside from what Jesus does, there is no hope. We're all bent on the same reality. How profound it will be on that day of judgment and death when this other book, the book of life, will be opened and names will be found that are not based on anything they've done to avert the wrath of God, but what Jesus, God's own son, did for them. We're so grateful that God has another book, not based on things that have have been failures, but instead simply based on his son. I want you to see the very next words. We read to the end of chapter 20. Look how Revelation 21 begins, verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That should make your heart leap. That's what your future is if you are in Christ. It's not just an aversion from condemnation, but this kind of joy of being in that kind of place for all eternity. I want you to consider this today. Consider what that means if you're here, however, and you have not yet placed your confidence, your trust, your faith in Jesus. Some of you are here today, by the way, because you wanted to be here. Others of you are here because you got dragged here by your mom. That's all she wanted for Mother's Day. And you thought, that's cheap, I can do that. (laughs) And I just wanna say, if you're here today and you haven't yet placed your faith in Jesus, whether it's 25 years, whether it's 50 years, whether it's 75 years, whether it's 100 years or more, you are still on the conveyor belt, all leading to the same place. Whenever I do memorial services or funerals, I will often say 10 out of 10 people die. And you are not, you are not going to avoid that same fate. But the death we're talking about today is not just that human physical death. The Bible says all of us will die, but we're talking about a second death that can be avoided. And not avoided because you're so religious, not avoided because you're so moral, not avoided for any other fill in the blank except for what Jesus did for you. You can place your trust, your eternal hope And what Jesus has already done, and my encouragement to you today would be to do that. I love this hymn, and I told Bill I was gonna quote it today. I don't know if there are four better lines that have ever been written of any song ever. Before the throne of God above, these four lines, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just, remember, God is judging sin. He judged it in Jesus. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. These are great words. The words of our soul that say, God, thank you for providing. And it's not a thankfulness that has any kind of attitude of being deserving, of any kind of, well, I'm a great person. It's good that God did this for me. It's nothing like that. God, I deserved hell. But you went out ahead of me and provided the sacrifice before I even was on the planet. 
making a way for me to be right with you. If you think I'm here today to scare the hell out of you, literally I am, okay? I really am. And this was powerful to me. I don't remember, it was about a year ago and whatever, I don't even remember the series we were in or anything of what we were teaching. But I remember asking you the question in this place, all three services. I said, raise your hand if, an, if a keen awareness of the reality of hell was a part of your conversion, of why you chose Christ. It was amazing. And all of our services, at least half the hands went up. Here's what that means. At least half of us, as we were coming to understand our, this great thing God had done for us in Jesus, a huge factor was because I want to avoid this other destination. Here's why we keep talking about hell at Trinity Church. There are other people maybe sitting next to you today who haven't really understood or heard of this reality. They need to be impressed by the same thing. Because the hope is that we would say, God, I don't wanna be on that track. I, I want to be rescued from that. And the great news is there is a rescuer. We sang about him numerous times today who reaches out his hand, says, I will take your place, pulls you off the conveyor belt, sticks himself in that place, faces the white hot wrath of God for you so you don't have to. So if you're here today and you're saying, well then, what do I do? A, admit that you're a sinner who needs a savior. B, believe. Believe that Jesus is the only savior available. C, choose. Choose to say, Jesus, I recognize what you did for me. Rather than any other thing to put my confidence in, I put my confidence in what you've accomplished at the cross and the empty tomb. That's the right response. I want you to hear this today. Hear what heaven is going to be filled with. Heaven is not an exclusive club filled with the deserving. Some of you sit here today and go, God doesn't want me. You have no idea, Todd, how screwed up I am. I'm gonna tell you this, you're right. I don't know your story, but you cannot out the grace and mercy of God. There's nothing, nothing you've done that would exclude you from having this opportunity. And every other person in this room who put their faith in Jesus will attest to that. Heaven is not filled, is not an exclusive club filled with the deserving, but a celebration of God's mercy filled with the grateful. That's who will be in heaven. Not people who had their act together, but people who realized Jesus did this for me. I humbly recognize I need him. Finally today, number three in your notes, Jesus' followers will be judged based on how they invest their lives. Jesus' followers will be judged based on how they invest their lives. You can turn there or look on the screen, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, capital D day, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what he has built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames." Look at the subsequent passage, 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, 
whether good or bad. This is the judgment I never saw coming. I shared this with you when we were doing our Rooted and Reaching series about a year and a half ago. And the story was I had come home from college on the weekend. I'm 18 years old, I'm a college freshman. I remember coming home on the weekend and I'm, that particular day I was working with the student ministries. We all came into the main auditorium and we had a guest speaker and he got up there and, and I'd say probably about five or 10 minutes into his message, he read the passage we just read from 1 Corinthians 3. And as I was reading along with him, he reads those words and even kept reading further in that chapter and would go on to talk for another half an hour. I never left. I could never leave 1 Corinthians 3 because I kept rereading it and rereading it and asking myself the question, is this what this says? This guy kept talking, it was like the peanuts, uh, you know, school teacher. Wah, 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 wah. I had no idea what he was doing, but I was glued. And I kept reading it and asking myself the question, if this is true, my life is going to be evaluated even though I'm in Christ. You'll note this is a totally different judgment. This is called what we call the Bema Seat Judgment. And the Bema Seat, the reason that name, in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we will stand before the judgment, the Bema Seat of Christ. In the first century, every city had a city square area, very common. When Paul's readers in Corinth would have been reading this, they would have read Bema Seat, and what would have come to their mind is in the city center, there was a huge seat that was raised up, looked like a throne, and on that, a capable judge would sit there during certain days of the week, and he would judge between people when they had a grievance with one another. The Bema Seat Judgment was absolutely a known, understood thing 2,000 years ago to the readers of Corinth. They knew what the Corinthian version of that was, and Paul's saying there's a Jesus version as well, and it's coming. No one had ever told me this. And again, I'm not blaming people, but I'm just saying as a follower of Jesus, I've been, uh, you know, now I'm 18 years old, grown up in the church, never once heard this and realized, God, what does this mean? Does this mean that I could live my entire life in Christ, but have nothing to show for it of eternal value? And the passage says, yes. Look at the descriptors of the materials. It says that the foundation is Jesus, so we're beginning with that reality of being in Christ. And one set of the materials, gold, silver, costly stones, the other set, wood, hay, and straw. Well, what happens when you add fire to them? To the latter, wood, hay, and straw, they're consumed. Nothing to show. But for gold, silver, costly stones, not only do they make it through the fire, they're refined by it. God says clearly, build with materials that are going to last. Materials that will be rewarded. Think of it this way. And a very fair question that you should be asking right now, well, then what are those things, Todd? Here's where I go whenever I think of this passage because you cannot go wrong. Jesus said more than anything else, great commandment, love God and love people. Great commission, make disciples of all the nations. A life centered around, great commandment, great commission, a life centered around living a life rooted in Jesus, reaching our worlds. That's what our mission statement is all about is just great commandment, great commission. That life, is a life that's building with materials that are gonna last through eternity. That's why this is so important and passionate for me because I want you to know this 
And I want you to understand that, yes, did you catch? It never says that someone who doesn't build well is in, in jeopardy of not being saved. It made it really clear. It's like living in a thatched house that gets on fire, someone jumping through the window, rolling out, being saved, but everything goes down. The salvation issue is not a question in 1 Corinthians 3, but living a life that's going to be rewarded is. So I told you this last weekend, we were up uh, in the Rockland area for my son's graduation. Here's a picture, proof he actually did it, okay? And this was a yay God moment. Him and Sky in the middle got married a year ago. He's been working 30 hours a week at a church. That is really easy to just not finish. And I was so proud of him. It has been a tough go, but he did it. He walked across the stage. We all went nuts and took the picture to prove it afterwards. So we had a great time getting to celebrate that. But some of you uh, back in March went with us when we went to Thrive Southwest out in the low desert. And the, the church that puts on Thrive is a church called Bayside that we love. You might remember even Ray Johnston being here and preaching for us over a year ago and Ray's the lead pastor of Bayside. So Bayside is in the very same community where my son's and, and daughter, Aliyah's back from school and Aliyah's university is at. And what we did is when we went to this Thrive in Southwest, I taught a couple breakout sessions and they asked me to do the same up there. So that was a cool thing to get to do that as well as be there for graduation. So that Thursday morning, Jackson graduated on Saturday, that Thursday morning, I'm in this session and Kendi and Jack and Aaliyah are all in, in that time. I, I brought people in case the room wasn't full, I'd fill up the room and feel better and told them don't make funny faces at me or anything like that. But they're in the room and at the end, uh, and, and really my session was what we talk about all the time here, how to be an intentional influencer how to be someone who's identifying a list and as a result of that, praying, interceding for the people on your list, being someone who's influential, being someone who's investing, being someone who is um, able to ultimately introduce someone to Jesus. I just walked through that for about an hour. And afterwards, this young man, probably in his like early 30s, comes walking up and these are the first words out of his mouth. 16 years ago, you were speaking at Hume Lake. And it just set me back. Like all the nostalgia, all my kids are over here. They were all this size when I was doing that. And he began to tell me about how, and this is one of those stories that real, rarely ever happened this side of heaven when God allows people to tell you how you were helpful to them. And so he told me about just that time that week and how God used that in his life. But it would be when we got back that following Monday, he sends me an email and he actually gave it more specific uh, information. Then this is what he said in his email. He said, Todd, you did a breakout seminar during your week that was for lifers. And I use that word lifer all the time. It's not, again, not a negative term for you guys down here that have been being raised in the church your whole life. That's what I call you. You're a lifer, I was. And that's a great thing in the sense of being able to have that understanding. But often it can feel like I'm missing out. And so I shared that, that, that week at Hume, I had a, pe a, a seminar just for lifers and we talked that through. And, and when he shared that with me, it dawned on my, in my brain, I had learned this when I was 18 about living a life that God would reward. That was one of the big ideas I shared at Hume during that breakout session. And it was simply about this. Would you see your life through the lens of when you were able to understand who Jesus was and what he'd done for you and your response, would you see that as a gift if that happened early in your life because you have this much time? None of us know our next breath. 
But theoretically, we have more time to live a life that would be pleasing to him, that would be rewarded, that would be honored by him than those who don't. Put it this way. Will someone who puts their faith in Jesus on their deathbed find their name written in the Lamb's book of life? Absolutely. Praise God. What did Jesus say to the, um, to the criminal on the cross? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. How much time did he have to do anything that would be useful for the kingdom of God? That much. He'd die in hours. But for us, for us who have come to understand and seen what Jesus has done for us, the earlier in our life, now is the time to be investing and seeing the kind of life that God is going to reward. We have that much more time. None of us know how much time we have, but whatever we do have, that's what we're going to invest. Look in your notes. This maybe sums that up. And this is for all of us, whether you've come to Christ a long time ago or more recently. In your notes, you do have today and tomorrow and the next days that God gives you to live the kind of life that will be rewarded. Rewarded in the way we're gonna talk about finally next week. What are we gonna do in heaven for eternity? We're gonna address that when we come back together. Knowing that you're going to face Jesus and his evaluation of your life, live in such a way to receive the rewards of the judge to hear your master say, and this is right from Matthew 25, just a few verses above where Bill was at last week, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. That would be my simple prayer for each and every one of us today that we would be investing our lives, our wealth, our time, our energies into kingdom things that God will reward versus living for the comforts of just simply what's immediate. Our now what statement once again, since God is going to rightly judge you, be sure that you take Jesus up on his offer to stand in your place. Let me pray. Father God, we come before you today with some very sobering truths about what the end of our lives are gonna look like. There's not a one of us, God, that is excluded from this conversation today. The great white throne for those who have not yet put their faith in Jesus, who will be condemned. But that other book, that other book that is there simply because of what Jesus has done, not that anyone has done anything deserving, that other book will be present and that will be the thing that causes there to be instead that eternity with you. God, we thank you that you're the God of the other book. And we also today with sober understanding, think of this Bema Seat judgment. And God, we realize, we say as one, God, help us live lives that are going to be rewarded where we hear you say, well done because of the ways that we invested ourselves. If for some of us, if we've never heard this before, let this be a day that's like a, a line in the sand where things change and we say, I wanna live a life that Jesus is gonna reward. It's gonna be worth it. Give us that kind of hope. Give us that kind of attention. God, give us that type of focus that we would live now in light of eternity. We love you and we pray in the great name of Jesus. Amen.